0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. It's going to be found on page 1484 in your pew Bibles. You know it's a good Sunday when we start with Zechariah. This is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, Lord, to be read and to be heard, Lord, to be understood, uh, God, that we might be changed. Lord, we pray that you would help us, help us this morning to hear your word, help us this morning to receive your word, and Lord, help us by your word and by your spirit to be changed in the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece. And make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. First Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 16. Peter, having already spoken of the uh, new birth and living hope that we have received Through the resurrection of Jesus, he now says, starting in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, we mentioned the change in colors that you see up here to purple, signifying the beginning of the season of Lent, this uh, 40-day period that uh, leads up to Easter. And so if at that point you were not particularly up to speed on the church calendar or in tune with it, uh, now you're thinking, okay... We've got a handle on this. We're 40 days out from Easter. We kind of know what's coming. And then you show up today and you see palm branches on the front of the bulletin. <laughs> and we're talking about Palm Sunday kind of stuff. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> Why in the world are we talking about Palm Sunday so early in the season of Lent? Normally, that is the thing we talk about the Sunday before Easter. And there's a reason for that. The reason that we normally talk about it the Sunday before Easter is because that's when it happened was the Sunday before the first Easter Sunday when Jesus rises from the dead. And so it makes sense to do Palm Sunday, one Sunday, Easter the next Sunday. Check your calendars. That's probably what's already there. But we're not doing that this year. We're doing things a little differently. And uh, there's reason for this. The reason that we are talking about Palm Sunday now instead of the Sunday before Easter is if you uh, read, especially in the gospel of John, he doesn't put those two events back to back. In fact, none of the gospels do because there's a lot that happens in between. And so if we do Palm Sunday, one Sunday and Easter Sunday, the next, there's an awful lot that just gets pushed together, which is how it played out in real life, but we're going to. Stretch that out. We're gonna look at it over a longer period of time. <clears throat> and so there's uh there are plenty of things that happen, but especially the things that Jesus says to his disciples to prepare them, to prepare them for his upcoming death and resurrection. We're gonna spend some time the rest of uh this season looking at that before we get to Easter. In fact, we'll look at that for a while after Easter. Um, And so in order to do that, we're going to look now on the front end of Lent at this Palm Sunday and what it means for Jesus to be riding in to Jerusalem. And uh, one of the reasons why we're looking at that now is because the reason Jesus has to tell his disciples so much later is because at this point, they still don't get it. They don't understand. And we've talked about this kind of thing before. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie that has a twist at the end that changes the whole movie you just watched. (laughs) And so you thought you knew what was going on the whole movie long, and you get to the end, and then there's that big reveal of something that you'd missed, and you kind of go back through, and it's like, oh, my goodness. It was right there in front of me. How did I miss it? The one, of course, that I've um, had the most noticeable to me in that regard uh, was a movie where you find out one of the main characters, at the very end of the movie, you find out one of the main characters had been dead the entire movie. And he didn't know it, and you didn't know it as the audience. <laughs> and then it kind of goes through the flashback, and you see the various uh, situations. And you're like, oh, my goodness, how did I miss that? That seems like something you'd notice, <laughs> but you don't notice. And uh, it's a well-made movie. But here's the thing. That's exactly what was going on with Jesus and with his disciples. We're looking this morning at um, John chapter 12. This is one of those... Uh, events that all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about this. We're going to be looking at uh, how John tells it. This is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. It should be found on page um, 1671 in your pew Bibles. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This was just after Jesus had been uh, anointed in Bethany, uh, by Mary, how she had come and she had poured perfume on him. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance. And, uh, and Jesus acknowledges that this is to prepare him for his burial. He knows what's coming. He's going to die. And then it, John picks up the story and says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that festival being Passover, by the way, for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Did you catch the line in there? The disciples did not understand what was going on. Really, nobody around understood what was going on except for Jesus. He knew exactly what was going on. And so, uh, as we as we read this now, of course, John is writing later, after the fact, after uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead, after uh, the Holy Spirit has come, as Jesus says, to uh, teach you all things and to remind you of everything I've said. And so, with uh, kind of the Holy spirit inspired reflection on his past. It's like the twist at the end of the movie has come. And now John looks back and he's like, Oh my goodness. How did I miss it? And I think that happens not only as something that happened way back then. I think that's something that happens now. I think that's something that happens for us. I think it's the kind of thing where I don't know how many times you've heard this or maybe experienced it yourself, but I've heard plenty of stories from people who say, I grew up in church my whole life and never heard the gospel until such and such date or whatever happened or whatever event. And the first few times I heard that, I thought, how terrible. There's so many churches that are not preaching the gospel. But I've heard it enough now that I think, that I'm not sure that's what they're saying. <laughs> it's not that I grew up in church all my life and no one ever preached the gospel, what they're saying is, I grew up in church all my life and never heard the gospel. You catch the difference. It's like the people who are welcoming Jesus in to Jerusalem, they're out there celebrating that he's a king, but did they understand the kind of king he was? No, they didn't, not at all. Not until later. And it's the kind of thing where they could look back on everything later and say, I never heard it. I never saw it even though he was saying it until afterwards. So what is it that they are thinking? What is it that they are understanding? This is, a, this is a political rally. I don't know if you're familiar with what political rallies look like at this day and age. That's kind of a season we're in right now, isn't it? And it is one that comes on fairly cyclically, although cyclically, there we go, although it's the kind of thing that we've tried to stretch out as much as possible so we're never out of the political cycle. <laughs> but anyway, so we're pretty familiar with how these go today. And as I was telling the kids earlier, this is like you know waving the palm branches would be like waving uh, the flag. It would be like carrying uh, the campaign signs. And this is what they're shouting. You know, they're chanting these uh, kind of political slogans. And that's what this parade is for them. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they are coming out to meet him because they believe that this guy is the one who should be the king. And on the one hand, they are completely right. This guy is the one who should be the king. And so Jesus is coming in, and they're shouting, and he's not going to quiet that down. On the other hand, why is it that they're shouting for him to be the king? What is it they have seen from him that makes them think that he should be the king? Signs, wonders, miracles, and specifically, it mentions the raising of Lazarus from the dead. In other words, there are a lot of people who uh, may make various claims, but this guy... He can do something. This guy has power nobody else has. This guy can actually raise somebody from the dead. If he is on our side, we cannot be beat. If he comes in to kick out the Romans, what are they going to do? Kill us? He can raise us up, right? (laughs) Yes, this is the guy that we should follow. This is the guy that should be the king. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're right in what they say, and they're wrong in what they mean. And so the way John tells the story is that uh, Jesus is coming into town, and people are shouting this, and it's almost like it's in the midst of all this shouting that then he gets this donkey to ride in on. there are ways you can kind of put that together with the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke write the story. Where it's entirely possible Jesus has sent the disciples ahead to get the donkey. They come and they're bringing it back as he's already in and people are already shouting and then he sits on the donkey almost as a corrective to what they're shouting. As though they are looking for someone who is strong and who's powerful, who can kick out the Romans, who can rebuild this place just like it was under David and Solomon and maybe even better. And Jesus is like, hang on a second. And he sits on a donkey. And he's like, "Mm, that's not a good image for you. (laughs) That's not going to play well with the public. (laughs) Why don't we get on something a little more majestic? No. No, I'm riding a donkey into town. Because that is what this kingship is going to be like. This is a kingship that actually is not so much about the power as much as it is about the service. It's a very different kingdom, and it's a very different king. And yet, this is exactly what uh, the prophets had foretold would be the case. But you know, we're really good at hearing what we want to hear. We're really good at hearing what we want to hear. We're not usually very good at hearing what's actually said. (laughs) The prophets had been saying this is what Jesus is going to be like. This is what the Messiah will be like when he comes. And there's an excellent song. I think we've played it here uh, before. I'm just going to read you some of the words, though. This is ah, a mess. This is a song by Andrew Peterson because apparently those are the only songs I know. And um, he, uh, he has a song called So Long, Moses, and it sort of skips across the pages of the Old Testament, kind of touching down in various spots and looking at Moses and looking at Joshua and talking about this idea of going, uh, the people wanting a king. And this first king is Saul. And it kind of goes on from there. And, um, and when he gets, and then David and Solomon, but then the, uh, the chorus, this line that keeps coming back is, we want a king on a throne full of power. With a sword in his fist. Will there ever be a king like this? And that chorus keeps coming through and you see, you know, Saul come in and you see David come in. You see all these various kings. And if you have, um, if you've been in our Wednesday night Bible study, we've gone through uh, books of kings recently. If you've been in Sunday school, uh, in the adult class, I know they're going through kings right now. And there are a lot of kings And they don't go (laughs) well most of the time. But this is what people keep wanting, that there would be a king on the throne full of power with a sword in his fist. And the the way the song goes is as this has played out, then you get to this point in their history, and they say, he says, prophet, tell us, will there ever be a king like this? And he says, and Isaiah said, And you can follow along kind of in Isaiah chapter 53, which is where this is spelled out, but he puts it um, in song form here. Isaiah said, he'll bear no glory, no beauty or glory, rejected, despised. A man of such sorrow will cover our eyes. He'll take up our sickness. He'll carry our tears. For his people, he will be pierced. He'll be crushed for our evils our punishment feel by his wounds, we will be healed. Again, as I say, you can look that up in Isaiah and see how he puts it, (laughs) but that's what he's saying. This is what the prophets were saying. The Messiah would be like, but is that what the people wanted to hear? No. What the people wanted to hear was that there would be a king on a throne (laughs) full of power with a sword in his fist. So when they see somebody who comes who can raise Lazarus from the dead, they say, yes, let's follow him. And Jesus sits on a donkey and says, I'm not the kind of king. I am the king, but not the kind of king that you're expecting or that you're wanting. I'm the king that you need. And those are very different. Um, So we look at, today and we look at uh, the politics of today yes I'm going there okay here we go (laughs) and there's a pastor years ago who said that uh, the way that he looked at elections was this way so that every election is just further evidence that people are looking for a savior hear that again (laughs) Every election is just further evidence that people are looking for a savior. And think about it. Isn't this the kind of thing that we look to, that we ask of our political candidates? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Can you save us? Can you save us from terrorists? Can you save us from coronavirus? Can you save us from financial meltdown? Can you save us? Because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a savior, somebody who can keep all the bad stuff away from us. Every election is just further evidence people are looking for a savior. And here's the craziest part of it. We look to Jesus like he's another politician. And we say, Jesus, can you save us? Can you save us from terrorists, from coronavirus, <laughs> from financial meltdown? Can you save us from all the bad stuff that's out there? Like they were saying, can you save us from the Romans? Can you save us from this oppressive government that is over us? Can you save us from that? Can you save us from the Evil people that are of a different political party than me. That works either way, by the way. This is what they were looking to Jesus for. This is what we look to our politicians for. This is what we look to Jesus for a lot of the time. And here's the thing. We look at all those things. But what we don't look at so much is the danger that exists within us. We think those things are bad and need to stay away, but the pride and the self-centeredness of my own heart, that's not that big a deal. And Jesus looks at it a very different way and says the pride and the self-centeredness of our own hearts is a much bigger deal than all the things we've mentioned previously. It's a much bigger deal. And this is why his kingship is such a different kingship. This is why the way that he saves, when they say save us, is a very different way. It's not the way of the world. It's definitely not the way of Peter. Peter had to be one of the most frustrated campaign managers ever. Jesus refused to run an effective campaign. (laughs) No, Jesus, you can't do that. It's going to get you killed. And Jesus is like, I know. Have you not been paying attention? (laughs) That's the point. That's where I'm headed. And like I say, the disciples kept missing it all the way to the point that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they come with torches and clubs, and they are going to arrest Jesus. And Peter's like, oh no, you're not. And he takes out his sword and he starts cutting off people's ears. Okay, maybe one guy in the ear exaggerating. And what does Jesus do? You know, Peter's like, if you're not gonna do something, I'll do something. And Jesus is like, you think you're fighting for me, you know? But what Peter is missing is that in that moment, Jesus is in the fight of his life. Every animal knows the fight or flight response. Every person knows the fight or flight response. When somebody comes with, um, somebody comes with swords and clubs. I don't know if you ever watched the show cops fight or flight. That's what you see every time they come to arrest. They come to arrest Jesus and Peter's right in there with them. Fight or flight. That's what they all do. All the disciples either take out a sword or run away. And Jesus doesn't do either because Jesus is in the fight of his life. To stand his ground in order to be arrested, in order to be taken away and to be killed. And it makes no sense to his disciples. That's why we're going to spend so much time in the coming weeks talking about how Jesus told them in advance all these things so that they would know that this isn't something that happened to him. This is something he was heading for on purpose. And why? It's because of his love for his people and the way that he is a very different king than what the people had been looking for. He was a very different king than what they were wanting. And he is exactly the king that they needed. He's exactly the king that we need. And so, as I said uh, with the kids earlier, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem. But let's not miss why he rode in Jerusalem. Let's not miss how he rode in Jerusalem. Let's let him tell us what kind of king he is. And let's follow him as the true king that we need. Let's pray that he will ride into our hearts to drive out all that is destroying us and then let us follow him in this servant uh, servant leadership that he models living as he lived loving as he loves giving as He gives, paying attention to who He really is, and letting Him tell us who we really are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.